everybody. Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You are now entering the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, a show that uncovers what's fact, what's fake, and what's fun in the crazy world of Pseudo Archaeology. Hello and welcome to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 119. I am your host, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, and tonight we remember my friend Cameron Griffith. Okay, so what's going on for today? This seems decidedly non-pseudo-archaeological, and it kind of is... I got some really bad news about two weeks ago or so that a good friend of mine, Cam, had taken his own life. He was a close friend of mine in archaeology. And even though we didn't live close by, we sort of grew up together in archaeology. I had known the guy at this point for 29 years. And he's one of those people who, and I, I hope that the rest of you have people like this in your life, who you've gone through certain things with where only they can understand, or you and them and a handful of people can understand these life moments or these times or these experiences that you may have had. It's just been on my mind a lot, and I thought I would just kind of dedicate the podcast to him, and he would love having a podcast called the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast dedicated to him. So, uh, Cam, I think you'd be into this. I think what I'll do is I'll just go through how we first met and then just tell a bunch of stories about 
working with Cam, he and I worked in Belize all those times. So we'd see each other almost every summer. We never worked on the same project or at least the same project at the same time. But we were close friends and we would always see each other on the weekends and just sort of talk and BS and plan and, you know, just kind of hang and let life go by. In order to do this, I, I wrote a bunch of notes to myself and I don't know, you might hear me, you know, flipping papers or this kind of thing, but it's just this jumbly mass of notes and memories that I thought I would vaguely try and stick to. We'll see how it goes. So I first met Cam in 1994. It was probably the spring of 1994. And I met him in Dr. Annabelle Ford's office at UC Santa Barbara. The reason why I met him there is Dr. Ford is who I had worked with in Belize in the early days. 1993 was my first year. So in 94, the new recruits were coming, right? And me as now an old timer, having been down for a whole field season now and like knowing things, I came by to see the new crop, you know, give them a couple of words of wisdom. And I remember a handful of them sitting there in Annabelle's office. And there was this one guy, right? Big guy, right? Cam's tall. He's like 6'4", robust dude. Um, I'm tall too. I'm six one, but he's, I'm kind of skinny, right? He's, he's like a full figured macho man with long, straight blonde hair. Right. And who I first met was serious cam. Now there's serious cam and there's more playful cam, but of course, as we all do, we're more serious at first. And I remember just talking with him a bit or just watching him talk. And I was just kind of like, who's this guy? Right. What's this guy's story over here? And he understood really fast that I was somebody worth talking to. Right. He kind of squared in on the fact like, oh, OK, this guy's been here before. OK, this guy's going to tell me what's really up. I'm going to talk with him. So I remember talking with Cam a bit as we just barely got to know each other. And he would ask really pointed questions, right? He'd be like, so, uh, so what's up with this? You know, how's it really go? Um, so like, what, what's a day like? Right. And he, he kind of did this thing with his voice. Like, like Cam had sort of a, a happier, higher pitch voice. Like, all right, dude. So look with you, you need to listen to me. Right. He had that. But then if he was going to be serious, it would go down a little bit. So look, Andrew, man. Anyway, so. I met Sirius Cam first. I, I told them what was up. And then they went for the 1994 season. And I didn't go to Belize for 94 or 95. So in those first two years, Cam went in and really made a mark for himself. Cam is the type of person that everyone knows. Everyone remembers. Oh, yeah. The big blonde guy who's loud. You know, <laughs> um, very friendly and what I will say in those two years that I was gone from Belize, I come back in 96, Cam just got to know everybody. He was one of those kinds of people. He knew everybody. I know a lot of people in Belize, but he knew more than me. I mean, he knew just everyone. Very 
excellent people person, right? So I kept tabs with him a little bit in those two years. I would just hear about him or hear from him a little bit. We weren't really that close of friends yet. But then in 96, I came back. And by that point, he was working for another project. And we would hang out on you know Saturday nights, usually at a bar called the Snooty Fox. And the Snooty Fox is my favorite bar of all time. <laughs> it was located on the banks of the Belize River, actually the McCall, if you must know. And it actually had a little swimming platform. You could jump off the platform into the river, like 15 feet below. Super fun. And we would just hang out, drink rum and Cokes and talk. Cam knew Michael, the bartender, really well. He, I think they put together like a pool tournament. There was a pool table there and Cam was really into pool, which I think Cam then won. There was a photo of him at the bar for years, him like at the pool table, I think with the with the trophy. So it was in those times that we really got to know each other, you know, just sort of seeing each other in weekends in Cayo. And to make this make more sense, it wasn't like we were just students, right? I'm there for my second time. Cam is there for a second or third time at that point. And then from 96, those later years, 97, 98, 99, into the early 2000s, we were there every year, right? We're the equivalent of field directors or second in command. And so me and Cam, and there's a handful of other people, and you know if I'm talking about you, those who were with us through those years. We were a close-knit group of people. We worked on different archaeology projects. Now, these are in Belize, and it's mostly the Belize Valley. Projects like Bivar or like the guys at Mananha or El Pilar or Valley of Peace. I had moved from Annabelle's project to the Valley of Peace with Lisa Lucero, and Cam had been working with Jaime Awe through Bivar. So we would just meet and joke and you know, talk about are weak. I think as our friendship got closer, Cam could be this really overbearing personality. And I mean that in the best possible sense, right? He'd be a big personality. But I felt good that I think as time went by, I was one of the people who could basically tell him no. <laughs> Telling Cam no had its own ups and downs. It was a difficult thing. This isn't a person who's excited about life, who, who will have plans Every time I talked to him, he had like a new plan or a new adventure he was going to do or a new thing. Andrew, no, no, guess what? So look, look, you are going to go with me because I have already done a Jedi mind fucked on you and you're going to do what I say because it's awesome. Right. He would say something like that, always using Star Wars terminology and ideas. He was a huge Star Wars fan <laughs> and his energy was so exciting that sometimes you, you had to say like, Cam, dude. I'm telling you, man, I can't, man. What are you saying? No, yes, you can't. No, it is too late because this is what we're doing. <laughs> but more on that later. I remember joking with him. I remember we were driving two different trucks and we were both going opposite directions on a single lane road. And we stopped with the trucks like nose to nose. And he's like, hey, get that piece of shit out of the way. And I'm like, F you, you move first. And we did the, the world's stupidest game of chicken on a one lane road. 
on the outskirts of San Ignacio, I, of course, lost ultimately. A lot of my stories with Cam also take place in the town of San Ignacio, which is where all the archaeology projects stay. And we sort of know that town well. It's also called Cayo. And that's where we would go out drinking, if not the Snooty Fox, another bar, bar called the Blue Angels. We would just hang out on a Saturday night and, and you know, drink and dance, whatever. I think of those times in terms of talking with Cam where he and I would just sort of sit at one of the tables and just kind of, again, talk about our, our plans of world domination. In terms of him <laughs> being a, a forceful personality, sometimes the crew, we'd stay out late. We'd stay out until like two in the morning. Yeah, just kind of drinking and hanging out. And at two in the morning, he would turn to me and he'd go, hey, so you know what time it is. It's time for soup, 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 super dome, 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 super dome. And I'd be like, no, no, I am not doing super dome. The super dome was like the world's worst bar. It was an after hours bar in Belize where you could go there at two in the morning. They would like secretly open it up, let a bunch of you in and then lock the doors. And you're just in there in this dimly lit hellhole, having a drink of whatever they had. And then they would open the doors at like six in the morning and you'd stumble out. So I would always say no, right? Because a huge portion of me didn't want to go. I'd be like, Cam, no, man, super calm. Oh, oh, Andrew. Oh, because you're going. You're going. You know why? Because these aren't the droids you're looking for. That's why. Right. And I'm like, look, and I'd look around and see, and maybe one or two of the other crew members were like, all right, we'll go. I'm like, okay. So we'd walk over to the super <laughs> and go in there, be locked in. And then Cam would often even be behind the bar. The super dome was like a small little room, like serving whatever. And, we, and we'd talk, you know, later with the other crew members, the other crews, and we would just hang out. I think those of you who were part of this world remember the hot, humid, tired nights at the Superdome. So in terms of working in Belize, another thing that is a big part of it is just the drive down, right? And Cam, being an inveterate Star Wars fan, had some tapes. Now realize this is like the late 90s. This isn't like, this isn't it's just on your iTunes, dude. This is like, you have to have a tape of something. This isn't even CDs. If you're in the jungle, it's like a tape player. He had his most coveted tapes of the Star Wars radio drama. This is a thing that was made, I think, right after the Star Wars movie. It was made by NPR in the late 70s. It's like this 13 episode thing. The episodes are half an hour apiece. It has some of the original cast, like Mark Hamill's in it, but some are not. And they actually expand on the Star Wars, original Star Wars movie. And they tell a bit more of like, it's like extra added scenes. It's actually really cool. And Cam loved this thing and kept it like so carefully to himself. He allowed me one year, let's say it's 97. I don't know. I think it was one of the years when I was driving down with Lisa. He sent them to me before the trip so I could listen to the tapes on the way down because the drive is from, in my case, from Los Angeles to Belize. So that's a whole thing. So many of us made that kind of drive, whether it be from LA or New Orleans or wherever, drive down through Mexico and then to Belize and at the end of the season, drive back. So Cam had allowed me the honor, which it was, and it showed that he'd really trusted me 
to take these tapes down. And so I listened to these tapes and I was super careful with them. You guys, I did treat them like, you know, the queen's jewels. <laughs> I remember being in the truck, middle of nowhere in Mexico driving. And I'm listening to the Star Wars radio drama, which does kick ass. And the tape is like, and thus Luke Skywalker. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I look and aficionados of the tape player, you know what I saw. I pushed eject and the tape player came out with just a shit ton of tape all over the place. I was like, oh, no. And to add insult to injury, the tape was broken. And I'm like, oh, my God. So that year, as soon as we got to Belize, the first thing I did in the archaeology lab is, you guys, I did like the world's most careful operation where I opened the tape, rewound it, glued the tape itself back together and put it all back together. When I next saw Cam with this, the first thing he was like, where's my tapes? (laughs) And I was like, Cam, I was honest. I'm like, dude, I got to tell you, as I was listening to one of these, one of the tapes broke and I could see he was like crestfallen. And so I was like, no, 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 no. But but dude, I know how important these are to you. I fixed it. okay. And I did a real fix. I took it apart. I glued it. I tried it out. It works. Just be gentle with it. I think it's fine. And he Took him, he tried him out, and he realized I was right. And I think he was really thankful that I took it seriously. You know, I understand. So it's some Star Wars tapes, but they're important to him. You know, and, and it was super cool because I'm a, I'm a big Star Wars nerd, too. You know, so that, that I could enjoy those tapes on the drive down. When we come back, a story that Cam tells in his own words... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, episode 119. I'm your host, Andrew Kinkella, and I am reminiscing about my friend Cam, who recently passed away. And I just have so many memories sort of flood in. I have to tell you guys, as I'm doing this podcast, which is actually, I'm doing this like midday, I made myself a rum and coke just for the taste. You can kind of, you might even be able to hear, you can hear the uh, ice cubes. Unfortunately, I did not have any one barrel. One barrel rum is like the rum of Belize that we always had those years. I do, though, I am drinking it out of a 
really cool one barrel cup, a little glass cup that I have. I remember going going to see Cam at one of the field houses where the where the crew was staying, and he's like, he's like, hey, you know what we need? We're gonna need some of this. And he he pulled out the one barrel from the freezer because he would keep it in there, and he he was like, and allow me to pour you. The nectar of the gods, which I know you know is true, right? He would, <laughs> and and he'd make a drink for me and one one for himself. And again, we would just hang and talk. Now, after I heard this news, I just started to think. I'm like, I know Cam has like sent me stuff, and and we've like you know texted and emailed and stuff over the years. Because we we kept touch even even till recently. Although I would say, in the last several years, we only would touch base like maybe once a year, you know. But which was fine, you know. Which older friends kind of do. I had remembered though that he had written this really long response to a YouTube video I made, and the video is called "It's called One Long Day." It's the longest YouTube video I made on my channel right on the Kinkella teaches archaeology channel. It's 29 minutes long. It's the longest one where I tell this long story about this crazy thing that happened to me. The whole setup was that I had to go out to retrieve a student's backpack because it had their passport in it. And it turned into this huge adventure just to get this guy's passport because they needed it for like the next day. So I made this long video. And again, I think it's my favorite one I've ever made. I'm like super proud of it. And when I made it, I texted Cam, I think. And I was like, hey, man, like, you got got, listen to this. Check it out. Because I just knew he would be somebody who would appreciate the intricacies of it. Right. The backstory. And then I remembered that he'd written something back, you know, and I couldn't find I couldn't find it. But I look back in my email. I'm like, oh, here it is. So he wrote an entire story, his own story that was similar to mine because it jogged a memory in in his mind. So I copied it off my email. And so I have a script of it right here in front of me and I'm going to read it. I'm just going to read it. I'm gonna not going to give any editorial comment or anything. I'm going to read through it. This is a story told by Cam in his own own words as a reaction to my one long day video. Here's what he wrote. So, since I was getting ready to assemble a new chair in my home office when your call came in, I decided to watch the whole damn thing. 29 minutes. That was a classic story. It triggered a suppressed memory from 1996 when for some damn reason, I decided to give a Peace Corps couple who were working at the DOA a ride to Valley of Peace. I had never been there before. Of course, the same thing that happened to you happened to me. I got back to the Belize River after dark and the river was up. Yet, unlike you, I had only crossed the fucker once in my life. That afternoon. And I certainly wasn't scoping out the bridge situation carefully when I sped across on my merry way to Valley of Peace. So I didn't know squat about the details, depth, surface a bridge, etc. The scenario. One, Ford F-150, the one that Nick Robb drove down with me that season. Two, Cowboy Cadillac, 
Front vanity license plate came with purchase, so don't go there. Three, two-wheel drive. Crap. Four, Led Zeppelin cassette tape loaded and playing. Tape borrowed from Jaime going to California was on, I think. Five, no food. Six, half liter bottle of crystal water remaining in those original sturdy plastic bottles, not the crinkly, unacceptable pieces of caca that they use today. Seven, moonlit night, so at least I could see the eerie outlines of my fate. Oh, yeah. And I'm all alone. No one around but the Jaguars. I chilled at the riverbank for about 15 minutes, trying to decide if I should go for it or figure out some other plan for the night. When another, much more robust, truck pulled around me and drove right over the bridge, slowly, with water halfway up the doors. He made it and drove off triumphantly. So what did I do next? And I'm all alone. No one around. I steeled my resolve, rolled down the windows, of course, removed my seatbelt, and envisioned swimming out the windows so that it would be more efficient if the truck dumped since I had walked through it in my mind already. That's what I was telling myself, at least. And I'm all alone. No one around but the wild peccaries. Time to hit it. I turned up the music, put it in drive, and demanded of myself to keep a steady four mile per hour clip regardless of any inner monologue freakout tendencies that might cause me to panic and hit the gas. Creeping onto the bridge, slow and steady, and I'm all alone. No one around. Seems like the wrath of the gods got a punch on the nose and it started to flow and I think I might be sinking. All four tires on the bridge now, no turning back. But at least I'm on the racing bridge. And I'm all alone. No one around but the vorpal rodents of unusual size. Almost there. Don't freak out. Stay on target. Stay on target. And I'm all alone. No one around. Reach the middle of the bridge. Oh, shit. The current is really strong now. The rear tires slip a bit on the bridge, causing the truck to kick a bit to the side. But somehow it reconnected. Almost there. Stay on target. Stay on target. Cut the chatter, Red Five. Those cassettes from my grandfather, taped from the original NPR airings of the show in 1980 and hand-labeled by him, were probably in the vehicle. And like a collection of small gold ingots, were to be protected at all costs, as you well know. So this was really much more than a life or death scenario. And I'm all alone. No one around. Throw me a line if I reach it in time. I'll meet you up there where the path runs straight and high. Almost there. Stay on target. Stay on target. And I'm all alone. No one around. Except probably those two dudes from Deliverance. Come on, kid. Let's blow this thing and go home. Reach out with my feelings. Made it across. Fuck yes, 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 yes. Adrenaline pumping at max capacity through my whole body. 
I drove my still jittery ass back to Kaya with the tunes jamming top volume, playing air drums better and harder than John Bonham ever dreamed of during his entire life. That one barrel and Coke back in San Ignacio was the best I've ever had. So that's his story. Oh, man. I hope it made sense. So he's crossing the bridge <laughs> as the water gets higher on the Belize River to, to have it make more sense. You should probably listen to the one long day thing that I did first. And then because it's a response to that. But to me, that's just that's so him. That's how he talks. Notice I, I, I gave that word for word. You guys, that's what he wrote to me. The Star Wars in there, you know, but <laughs> the the use of the Led Zeppelin song in the background. I mean, it just man, it just it just brings me back that one. Pretty, pretty damn good. It's that kind of stuff that I think of, you know, <laughs> I'm so laughing ah, when, I, when I think I got to have, have a drink. Here we go. Wait. Oh. In terms of stories like that, the people who really get it, again, are those second in command field director types who worked on these projects in Belize as the year it rolled by. You know, we were people who we weren't the project directors, but we were right below them, you know. And so we had to like supervise the project, do all the hard work that others didn't, you know. We would do things like pick up people from the airport, take students to the hospital, give tours to minor dignitaries of the site that you work at, go to the border for last minute weird expedition supplies. Just giving you guys a feeling for it. stuff that people in our arena would have would have had to do. Fix a road. Oh, my God. Just lots of dealings with the border. Again, when, when you work in Belize, you got to go to the border between Belize and Guatemala in order to get certain products, in order to deal with passports, uh, changing money, dealing with student paperwork of any kind, whether it be like passport kind of paperwork or whether it be archaeological paperwork, dealing with the food of an archaeological project. Oh, the constant vehicle maintenance and destruction issues. And I would say ultimately, people like Cam and I, and those of you who were also a part of this, we were the de facto counselor for both all the students and the PI, right? And the person running the project. So you would you'd get it from everyone on all sides. So I think that really solidified our friendship that much more, you know, when you have the same backstory, when you know what it's like, when you can just bitch and commiserate on a Saturday night. And uh, those people, Cam is, of course, one, but there are others of you out there. You are a very important part of my life. And I think sometimes we feel maybe a little embarrassed to admit something like that, like it's like it's like we're looking at the old days or something. It's like we need the old times or something. So you won't just admit it. But I think it's very healthy to admit it. That doesn't mean that any of us live in the past. I don't. I have all kinds of cool stuff that happens now. And I know that the rest of you don't either. But it's OK to appreciate and acknowledge how important those times were and you know the the learning experience that happened then and the 
the sort of connections that were made and the the closeness and the sort of camaraderie and how important that is to who you are as a person today. It's really important to me. When we come back, some more stories about Cam. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 119. And I'm reminiscing about my good friend Cameron Griffith. So, <laughs> as I said earlier, and as I just looked through my miscellaneous sheet of just words and lines and imagery, some things I think of when I think about Cam. Oh, my God, the word Ross. Like, we don't say that in the States, right? Like, uh, he would say it all the time, or Ross. Like, oh, yeah, like, I can hear him say, oh, Mother Ross. Yeah. So the word Ross, it's like, it's kind of a combo of like the F word and ass, you know, and it's like, you just kind of use it in that, in that way. Oh, oh the, like he, in the story that he told that I, that I gave earlier, the, 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 oh, the Rossing bridge or whatever it is. So he would, he would use that, but it, it was in an honest matter and it never felt like forced or weird or like, dude, don't say that. You sound like a weirdo. He kind of laid ownership to to the oh, mother of Russ. Oh, that Russing. Oh, oh, my Russ. <laughs> I, I think, oh, I have, a, I have a note here. It says saying no to Cam Island Water Taxi. I'm like, oh, my God, I remember this one. So we ended up in Belize City. And every so often, honestly, I would go to Belize City just by myself because I couldn't stand the rest of the crew anymore. We all had these moments. You know, where it's where you're just like you need alone time. Alone time is so precious. And I would just take a bus to Belize City on like a Sunday on like a Sunday morning. I get to Belize and just stay in Belize City, like walk around Belize City all day and then take like the last bus back to San Ignacio. Seems weird, but I just needed the alone time away. Like people stopped talking to me. But I think I told Cam this at, at one point, and, and we, I think we went up together. I don't know how we ended up there, but I do remember this. We were eating breakfast in Belize City, and it was probably one of those Goma breakfasts. Goma is the term we always use in Belize for hangover. But we were hanging out, eating breakfast, like a late breakfast. And Cam gets a plan, you know, and you can see because he gets, he like focuses in on you and he's like, hey, Andrew, you know what we're doing right now? We're going to the islands. That's what we're doing right now. And I'm like, Cam, I can't go to the islands. So the deal with going with the islands from Belize City is you go to the water taxi station, which is just a little it's like it feels like a regular taxi station, but it's just right on the mouth of the Belize River. And there's little like motorboats there that take you out to the islands. And the motorboat takes like like about an hour to get out to the islands. And it's like a Sunday. I'm like, Cam. Dude, I could not go to the islands with you. He's like, and he did his whole thing. Yeah, but I've already done a Jedi mind trick on you and you're going to do it because we're going. And I'm like, dude, the one thing you're going to see on that boat out to the islands is not me. 
that's what you're going to see because I can't. And I had something really important. I had something real like that Monday to do. I can't remember, but I just remember I had to, I couldn't screw around. And he's like, we're going right now. You're going to go out there with me. We're going to have fun. We're going to hang out. It's going to be great. And then you're going to get the last water taxi back. And that's going to be how it is. And I'm like, Kim, those last water taxis, like, dude, sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. We're just like, I can't, I can't do that. Like, I just, it's not going to happen. Guess you can. We're doing it. And it's going to be great. And I remember I, I walked over with him to the water taxi the whole time. I'm like, dude, I'm going to walk you over here. We'll just hang out. But as soon as the boat comes, you're getting on it. And I'm not. Yes, you are. Dude, just stop it. Just stop the madness. You're coming. And I just told him I couldn't. And to the very last minute, to the last instant, he was like, you're coming. You're coming. You're coming. The water taxi boat is there. He is getting on it. I'm like, Cam, I'm not going. I'm sorry. I can't. And then he just like turned away, totally quiet. And then the boat left and he would not look back at me (laughs) because you see, he had so much. It's almost like a childish joy. And I say that in the most positive sense. But when you told him no, he reacted no in that same childish, like no way of like, how dare you? not go with my plan of awesomeness. So I do remember telling him, no, I wasn't going to go out to the islands with them. Would I have done it again today? No, because he needed to respect that I had something real that was going on. But no harm, no foul, man. That's 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 who that guy was. And on the flip side, I was able to do so many fun things with him, you know, that I otherwise wouldn't have done. I remember he gave me and the students and Lisa, a tour of the caves sometime around 2005 or so. He That's where he did a lot of his archaeology work was in the caves in Belize. And he gave just the most kick-ass cave tour. We went to several different caves in Belize that day. We drove to each one. He just talked about them. The students loved him. You know, he's so good with people. So like the ex- he really had that infectious excitement and joy. He loved archaeology. He loved Belize. There will never be a bigger booster of the country of Belize than Cameron Griffith. I mean, number one. He just loved it. I remember on that cave tour, though, he was driving us around in in like a big van. And it was time to get back in the van. And I'd already gotten in. I was all the way in the back. And all the students are filing in. And Cam goes, is everyone in? Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. And the students being younger, nobody got the Jim Morrison reference. So there was a beat. And then from the back, I shouted, wake up. And he looked at me in the rearview mirror and just smiled and just went like, yeah. (laughs) So as the Time went on from there. That's by by 2005 or so. Again, I'd see him all the time in Belize and we'd hang out. But then, you know, as you get a little older, have a family, get married, whatever. We did see each other less. There'd be a couple of years that would go by when I wouldn't see him. But we would always pick up where we left off. You know, we would always pick up again. And we did email each other back and forth sporadically. I remember in... 2017 or so at the Belize Symposium. These are archaeology meetings at the end of the field season, usually around July 1st or so. 
we ended up at a local the Colpech Village Hotel. And by that point, Cam was there with his wife and his young son at the moment. The, very, very little, like like a year and a half old or something. And I happened to have the hotel room next to them, which was really great. And Cam and I ended up just going out on the balcony. He was he was sitting on his balcony and I was sitting in mine. So we were like right next to each other, but in these two different balconies. And and we would we were talking. I remember like late at night and drinking some wine, trying to be quiet because he had a young child, you know, his wife's there and stuff. But we were just bullshitting. And, and I swear I was trying to be quiet. We were trying to be quiet, but both of us have unfortunately big, loud voices. So I know that I was not successful in being quiet, but we just sat and talked on the balcony and looked out. We talked about archaeology, whatever, family, you know, all this stuff. Uh, it, was, it was really enjoy, uh, enjoyable. I remember when, when COVID came that I made this deal with myself where I was like, you know what? I'm going to touch base with a few old friends who I haven't talked to in a while. And I did it for one or two people. And Cam was one of them. I gave him a call. I remember laying on my hammock, like in my backyard, and I gave Cam a call. And I talked to him about archaeology. And I was telling him I was working with Annabelle Ford again, but this original person who we both worked with where I first met him. And I had a question about some archaeology stuff. And he jogged my memory. He's like, Oh, no, dude, that's a total sweat bath. Remember me and Thomas used to hang out in there. I'm like, oh, my God, he's right. That building is a sweat bath. And I kind of knew it. My subconscious knew it. But Cam, like, told me, I'm like, right. After that, because I was working again in this original office and lab up at UCSB, I go up on Tuesdays. I'd run, run across some of his old paperwork every so often, too. And I would send him once in a long while. I'd send him some stuff. He did a uh, profile drawing when he was a kid, you know, from 94 or whatever. And I sent it to him. And I'm like, you know, look, look at this wondrous imagery, whatever, you know, just joking. And he's like, oh, it should be in a museum, whatever. You know, we would just just very lighthearted and fun. And those stuff like that, those were some of the last times that I interacted with him, you know, just joking, jovial emails. And, and it had been about a year since I interacted with him. And it's like summer's coming. So it was usually in summertime when, when we would touch base a little bit. And in one of the oddest experiences of my life, it was a Tuesday, about two weeks ago, whatever it was on Tuesday. I happened to be in Annabelle's office alone. In her office, there's also a lab there, too. So there's a couple rooms with, with artifacts in it and stuff and paperwork. But I was there alone when I got the note that, that Cam had passed away. And it was one of those ones where you get a couple of them, you know, all of a sudden, Several different people figured that you need to know because they knew that we were, you know, close friends in Belize. And uh, yeah, uh, at first I didn't, it took me a minute, but then I realized that I had heard the news of his death in the exact same place where I met him 29 years earlier. It was so odd. I don't know how else to explain it. And then what I did, I, 
Oh, I'm so happy that nobody else was in the office. And it's not because I would do some weird Hollywood rage. It was because I want to be quiet. And I didn't want to talk to anybody. You know, I just wanted to sit and just kind of listen to the world for a little while. I, I just I walked around in the lab a little bit and I just thought, you know, about my friend. And when you get news like this, especially if, if somebody is taking their own life, you know, you 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 think like. God, why didn't they call or why didn't they reach out? And at the same time, you're like, well, if he reached out to me, what do you think I would say? Oh, good, good, good call. No, I'd be like, hey, idiot, don't do that. But he knows that, you know, I just I had all these. <clears throat> all these. Conflicting, odd, different emotions, and I just sat there. I just I really was happy I could sit there in the quiet for a while and just think and then what i did i left the office and i i had my iphone and my earbuds and and i walked around campus for a long time listening to the star wars radio drama which i always keep on my iphone it's it's one of my music collections you know where i can just click on it so i clicked on it and then i just listened to the star wars radio drama as i just walked around for a while and doing weird little rituals like that really helps you know and then of course that evening i came back and oh i got home i i drank a rum and coke not i have to sip this one right here not not in a again not in some weird rage just just to sort of stop and think and and reminisce you know for myself it was nice to touch base over facebook and this kind of thing you know of other old friends who are kind of going through the same thing sometimes it's weird uh you know when you when you sort of have something like this happen in in, in your life you want to talk to people like that who are of the same vintage <laughs> At this point, you know, I I don't have any words of, of wisdom, you know, to to wrap this up with. I would say, of course, which everyone says and is true. You know, if you're ever thinking of taking your own life, good God, man, don't do it. You know, take some time, relax, think a little, talk to some people. The world is better with you in it. You know, chill. And, you know, when I think of my friend, I just, I think the, what I'm going to miss most is that he knew me, you know, and I knew him and he was a tough person sometimes to get to move away. If he had a plan, as you could see from this, he would follow through kind of no matter what he has these plans of grandeur, you know, but I always felt good that I could, I could tell him now. And even though it seemed to mean nothing at the moment, I knew that if I said no, or if I steered him in another direction, he would take it seriously. And it would, it was in there. I could lodge a complaint at the front desk and it would be taken seriously. But it's very difficult to lose someone who knows you and understands you from, 
from the past like that, who knows that younger self of you. And so, you know, I just I think the the world will miss this adventure seeking, big, loud personality, Star Wars loving booster of all things, Belize, archaeology. Friend of mine. And. Going back to Belize will never be the same. And I will miss him terribly. Thanks for listening to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast. Please like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe. And if you have questions for me, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, feel free to reach out using the links below or go to my YouTube channel, Kinkella Teaches Archaeology. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Become.